Hey, welcome to the podcast. I have Hawaii's economist, or I'm calling him Hawaii's economist, Mr. Paul Brubaker, who has been the chief economist or associated with the Bank of Hawaii as the chief economist for the past uh, 25 years or so. He's a Stanford yeah. alum. He's a, U- he's a UH PhD. And once again, I'm branding him as Hawaii's economist. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? <laughs> the last man standing. Thanks, Nicholas. Okay. Right. So, uh, yeah, one word, GameStop. What are your thoughts on GameStop? Yeah. How bubblicious was that, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Went by really fast, I have to say. Mm. Um, uh, And maybe it's not over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The whole squeeze and all that. But, yeah, what were your initial thoughts as an economist on how that bubble slash squeeze, um, which still continues, is actually going? Well, of course, I heard about it too late to get on the bubble, um, and uh, it did go by very fast. Although I have to say, if you're just you know looking at, there's actually a, a famous book by uh, Herbert Flood, I think, or Flood, something and something. Famous first bubbles is the name of the book, mm-hmm. and um, it documents. And that's the irony in the title is that everybody thinks when they run into a bubble that it's the first bubble. And of course, we can document them well back to, uh, I think it's 1638 with tulips in Holland and even before that. Um, But uh, it happened, uh, the most intense period for the GameStop bubble was about the last month. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, but there are intraday, you know, you can see these uh, kinds of events. and I can't remember, there's another famous book. Uh, these are econ, you know, nerd books mm-hmm. on uh, bubbles, such sunspots and something else. But so, they, you know, asset, asset, what are called asset pricing bubbles mm-hmm. are a familiar phenomenon in uh, economics. Uh, people have studied them for a while. There are different ways to think of how, uh, you know, suddenly the value of an asset can, which under circumstances about which most people are aware, um, suddenly changes in value mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and then goes back. And we could, you know, now that we're talking about it, I wish I had, um, I wish I had made up some slides to share and to show you some <laughs> yeah. of the, the, the bubbles that are out there. In fact, maybe Nicholas, if you want to edit that in, I'll I will. cut this part out. I will uh-huh. go put together a, a short sequence uh-huh. that we can uh, look at together, and we'll talk about each of those. But they can happen intraday. Or they can happen over um, the um, Shanghai. We, we can go get the data on the Shanghai Composite Index, which is sort of like the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 in, in the United States, which... Um, peaked in about, uh, I want to say July, I'm going to get it wrong, uh, either, I think it's June 2015, or maybe it's June 2014. Mm-hmm. But it increased two and a half fold between June 2014 and June 2015. So I mean, not just one stock now, the entire stock market in China increased by 2.5x. Wow. And then um the bubble burst and uh, in its descent over the next six months uh, swept up like a, like a, uh, like a, you know, like a flash flood swept up all of the world's uh, equity markets with it uh, caused the U S stock market to break momentarily in August and two years after the two months after the peak. And then again, Notably, in January 2016, there's a little kind of implosion in U.S. equity valuations that if you if you it's that's hard to understand unless you go back and think about the context of this bubble bursting six months earlier mm-hmm. and the, the cascading consequences of that uh, subsequently. And so that's kind of this week for GameStop, right, because GameStop yeah. opened the month at you know, 15 or 20 dollars a share. Uh, and then um, uh, was appreciating uh, relatively rapidly on a daily basis until I want to say two weeks ago, maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
January 20th or something like that. And uh, so three weeks into, you know, Martin Luther King Day, it was still looking like, oh, that's kind of interesting and kind of pricey, but kind of interesting. And then, of course, it went to 300 plus dollars vertical, straight vertical. Yeah. And that's the classic. (laughs) That's the classic, you know, uh, inflection as uh, the popular way to describe it, but an, an acceleration in the rate of appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, to a point where it starts to lose the oxygen, right? It gets out into the stratosphere or wherever you run out of oxygen, about 15,000 feet, and, and then boom, free fall. Yeah. Uh, and that, so unlike the initial acceleration, um, there's been kind of a break. In fact, I haven't actually looked at it today, but uh, mm. we're now talking what four days later. It's dipping That's double digits. Fast. Yeah, it's dipping double yeah. digits. So there's a lot of bag holders out there who are probably retail traders, most likely Robinhood traders or people on the up and coming e uh, platforms to trade. Um, so, uh, but remember that m- m- most of those or many. Um, had a different motivation for the customary uh, retail or wholesale uh, equity investor, right? They're, they're people, the people who are most active in these markets customarily are people who manage large, right? They manage other people's funds, right? Mm-hmm. Most people invest through mutual funds. They don't actually invest in individual stocks. In fact, we sort of teach in financial literacy and in, in, um, um, you know, financial economics courses that you're you're unlikely to beat the market as an individual. You're unlikely to have enough information uh, to beat the market systematically to sort of get away with it all the time by investing in individual stocks about which mm-hmm. you know something and nobody else does. And by the way, when you do actually know something that nobody else does, that's called insider trading and it's illegal. Like mm-hmm. we have a whole system, legal system set up to govern trading so that people can't exploit uh, private information Mm -hmm. uh, in order for the markets not to be unduly influenced by um, people seeking to monopolize uh, the potential, right? You can think of it, we're talking about time and we set the game up so that if you have private information about something being worth more or less in the future, you can't monopolize the change in the value that unfolds as a consequence of what you already know and other people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you simply have a belief um, based on a shared information set mm-hmm. that it is going to be worth more or less, then that makes you a speculator, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with speculation. If mm-hmm. that's you know your money and you know your bet, uh, knock yourself out. But of course, as I mentioned the, the you know the bulk of funds trading in a typical trading day are being managed uh in the aggregate by professional fund managers and most people put their money in you know broad-based diversified funds that mm-hmm. many of which have a different sort of philosophy or tilt or or algorithm that uh that uh their investors and the, and the managers, I uh, think, might give them an advantageous position or, or take advantage of some mathematics that we only recently developed yeah, and so on and so forth. Can, can I interject? <clears throat> I, I feel as though the big Wall Street firms, the hedge funds, the quants, um, the technical traders, they get to like fall back on this argument that, you know, they're reading charts or, you know, they have these algorithms and then mm. they sort of like look down upon even though all the information's out there nowadays they kind of look down upon the retail trader and the robin hood uh trader mm. but then mm-hmm. this gamestop sort of um short squeeze shows that in mass mm. these guys on reddit boards wall street bets whatever they're actually able to affect just like how the hedge funds used to be able to game the system and i feel like it's kind of like you know, it's okay when we do it as institutions and short sellers, but then when the retail person does it, now we're all concerned about, oh, they're speculating and this is not a value stock. What are they doing? Yeah. I I mean, I understand. Yeah. I understand the concern. It's important to sort of um, 
separate. It's like, you know, those kids that got A's in calculus freshman year in college. God damn it. You know, and you're like, we're like, you know, we're like average students, right? Um, I happen to go to a good university, you know what I mean? So you're probably a better student with, than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying when you, when you have the opportunity to go mm-hmm. to a good university, as opposed to the public school I went to uh, in high school, you, you're sampling from a different population mm-hmm. of students, right? And so all the kids, oh, you know, the Bradas I grew up with when I was a kid, they, were, they didn't follow me to college. But the ones who did get to college were all kids like me who, um, you know, did relatively well. And then you literally go into your first freshman calculus class and you realize, oh, my God, everybody yeah. here is smarter than I am. And, and so on and so forth. And then way at the end. So this I, I'm not making this up. My first class ever in college was a calculus class, which mm. was a mistake two times over. Um, the first was I should have taken more calculus in high school, but nobody told me. Yeah. I, I get there and every every already took calculus. But the second mistake was I took it at eight eight a.m. in the morning. And yeah. I know it sounds ridiculous now. Who takes an eight a.m. class in college? Somebody who thinks it's still like high school where you take eight a.m. classes. So there I would sit bleary eyed while these you know Asian students just drop kicked my ass across the you know classroom on when it came time for exam results and then I get to graduate school and I'm in my first math econ course and the professor just asked I'll never forget this moment first first thing he said on the first day of graduate school show of hands how many people in a math econ class how many people in this class uh, already have a master's degree and I'm like <laughs> who would have a who would already have a master's degree half the hands go up i'm like wait what and then he says okay of those people how many have master's degrees in math same guys (laughs) and you know what happened to those guys they all became quants and went to wall street Mm -hmm. so it's not their fault that's how their brains are wired i remember Mm -hmm. taking a credit risk analytics course uh, a professional development course with about 25 of us for a week, like all day, all night, we're in the computer lab. And, you know, this went on, this was all spring break with, taught by these luminary financial econ guys. And then at the, uh, uh, at the end, we all had gotten to know each other. And of those 25 students, five of them, five of the 25 were Russian physicists. Wow. They're these Russian guys that had PhDs in physics yeah and they're learning credit risk math so my point is yeah the quants are not like the rest of us <laughs> and i actually took calculus and they're not uh-huh. like the rest of us but what you were just re- uh, reflecting upon was the perception of the guys like me in the back of the classroom going i am so screwed <laughs> by this talent that's in the front of the class uh-huh. And look, it's just, you know, it's, it's like sports. It's like everything. It's like surfing, you paddle out and then, Oh my God, that guy's yeah. out in the water. Yeah. So look, try not to get to, that's what I would tell retail trader. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about retail traders now. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they seem to have gotten bent out of shape. I'm not entirely sure why, because where have you been? You know, have you not been watching the market for the last 50 years? Uh, oh, you're not old enough. I get that. But here's the thing that changed in the last couple of years. These apps lowered the barrier to entry mm-hmm. and eliminated the information asymmetry yep. that made it hard for a non-professional to even get into the market, you had to pay, you know, when I was a kid, you had to call up your stockbroker. It was kind of like calling up your parents to ask them for money mm-hmm. because you say, oh, I want to buy, you know, a hundred shares of Microsoft. And then you have to have an argument with this moron who's like, oh, the only people that will ever use internet are 20 year old guys looking for porn. You know, uh-huh. I actually had that conversation once. Really? Um, 
Yeah. So, um, did you get those shares? Like, did you get the shares uh, and keep them? <laughs> I, I could tell you, I mean, I bought uh, advanced micro devices. Oh, wow. Anyway, I, I've, I've made money on AMD a couple times, mm-hmm. but it's, it, the story is always ridiculous. Like, um, like, for example, after the financial crisis, for about five minutes, I made money. I bought Citicorp mm-hmm. for $4 a share. Mm-hmm. And then it went to like $20 a share nice. and I cut my position. <laughs> you know, this is when I go to Las Vegas, I do the same thing. And this is my wife, it just drives my wife crazy. You can't, you can't stop after you make $200. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm out. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, I don't even know what, how much Citicorp is worth today. 50, 80, $100, $200 a share. I'll look it up on the back. Yeah, I'll look, look it, it up. up. I'm that guy who cuts out too early. So uh-huh. yes, it's possible to do it, but it's, it's never been easier. Mm-hmm. than today because i mean Robinhood doesn't even have a transaction fee right you don't even have yeah to pay. free trades free trades uh, uh, and um well that allows um it's sort of like you know if you think about what a uh a match.com or a um a hosting app you're right you want to look for a, an undocumented vacation rental um mm-hmm. you the, the problem there is you don't know where the cool places to stay are, right? You stay in Waikiki because it never occurred to you that you could stay in a cabin at, up by Velsiland and walk out your door and surf every morning. So mm-hmm. the hosting apps broke down the information asymmetry. You know, the, the owner of the vacation rental knew it was there, but you didn't. Um, and they um, lowered the cost of getting into, in the case of Robinhood, getting into the financial markets and being a small player. Um, which used to, you know, there used to be a brokerage fee and, uh-huh. you know, uh, it, of course, it still takes a, a couple of days for uh, a trade to clear, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's not instantaneous. I mean, it's instantaneous in the accounting sense, but then we have systems set up so that those transactions can be validated, right? You can't, it's just like when you make your credit card payment, for some reason, it, you know, it, it takes a day or two to post or something to your account. Mm-hmm. Um and the same thing happens with trading. And so when everybody, what we're talking about here is what's known as a herding event, mm-hmm. where everybody, the herd starts going in one direction. And the difference between a rational speculative bubble in asset pricing dynamics, in asset price dynamics, and a, you know, a, a path dynamics that are rooted in what people call economic fundamentals and mm-hmm. something you can, you know, how much does GameStop earn each year after you know after paying mm. paying the mall rent and and uh and uh paying taxes or earnings before interest you know right ebitda or earnings before interest taxes depreciation allowances oh yeah like that. yeah um right accounting stuff mm-hmm. um those fundamentals may give a different suggestion of value to the ones that people on in the reddit verse in in some online you know uh social media universe mm-hmm. are getting and in this particular instance of gamestop um partly because of that perception you know all us kids in the back of the calculus classroom decided to stick it to the kid in the front that kept yep. pulling the curve uh-huh. <laughs> and so yeah. we all went, and there are enough of us right enough of us figured out how to move them, you know, acted at the same time to move the market in a, pl- mm-hmm. in a direction in the opposite direction mm-hmm. from the so-called experts with their algorithms and all this other stuff. And yeah, stick it to those guys. Right? Yeah, exactly. Stick it to so, them. I mean, it's, um, and I, there are a lot of people today who like lost money and are happy to have been part of an historic moment. Yeah. Go yeah. figure. Um, but it's not generalizable, you know, I can understand it happening to one or, uh, you know, another a stock, but you can't sort of, you can't imagine the market in general from being, um, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't bubbles and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put some graphics together later, Nicholas, and then we'll show, okay. you know, we'll, we'll show how entire asset classes like housing 2005 Mm-hmm. <laughs> our, our subject how you know homes in phoenix and las vegas 2005 you want to see some bubbles let me tell you they're out there mm-hmm. and 
for the same reasons. For the same reasons the herd moved towards GameStop. Well, not for the same reasons they moved, but because of the fact that the herd moved in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, homes in Phoenix and and in Las Vegas and two thousand South Florida in two thousand five or you know peaking in two thousand five or two thousand six. Um, homes leading up to that exhibited the same acceleration we were seeing in game stock, <laughs> game stock, in game okay. stock, stock prices, uh-huh. game stop, blah, blah, prices uh-huh. in the first three weeks of uh, uh, January 2021. Yeah, I, I do think there's a spirit, once again, as the kids in the back of the uh, math class, like there's, cert- there's a certain spirit that like it never quite died. There's Occupy Wall Street where our economy went down and nobody went to jail. Whatever derivatives were, whatever the speculation, nobody went to jail. And then um, you you fast forward and hot topic. Um, I feel as though populism took over with Trump. You know what I mean? There's like a a populist argument, us versus them, 1%. The elites the elites versus the rest of us. And even though Trump is totally an elite who's been rich his entire life because his dad was rich, um, he made it seem like he was just one of us. Like, oh yeah, he's one of us and it's not the elites. I, I feel as though this GameStop thing where it's sticking it to the hedge funds that are shorting GameStop was really just a connection between the dissatisfaction from 2008 and then populism, and then now, hey, let's go throw in social media where we can get on these uh, chat boards, like assemble, and then go ahead and affect change. Kind of like January yeah. 6th, the insurrection, yeah. very I similar. There's a, there, clearly there are cross currents, cultural, uh, and not to mention technological uh, cross currents uh, hmm. underway, some in parallel, some in opposition, is that the right word? And, um, you know, moving in different directions. And um, I do think it's important to let, we got to segregate the Trump, Trumpism just for a second, because most of it is, as you say, has elements we know from history. You know, some entitled asshole has the ability to um, marshal uh, uh, you know, a cult, a tribe of followers. But when you look at the cult members, when you look at, you know, the tribe, um, you know, whether they were uh, white nationalists or racists or fascists or, you know, um, they were already there. That's the thing about the, the irony of America first is that mm-hmm. that's what American fascists organized that's the banner under which Lindbergh and the isolationist fascist uh, Americans pre-World War II that's the banner under which they organized in opposition to the war that had already broken out in Europe right America first right we're not getting involved in another European war some of which was just sentiment of people who had already fought a war in Europe and 20 years earlier and were unwilling to go back. But, you know, some of us were straight up anti-Semitic fascists. Um, And so, okay, we kind of need to separate that because one of the other cross currents to which you alluded, which is the, you know, the march of technological progress, Mm -hmm. right? The, The app thing was going on whether or not fascists, neo-fascist elements of our society were being legitimized mm-hmm. by wealthy assholes. That's, that's, that could happen anytime. It happened in the 1920s and the 1930s in Italy and in Germany and in Spain and in Portugal, right? Franco and the, right? The, the, the Nazis used the Spanish Civil War as their um, beta test, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for the Stuka dive bomber and all their military technology uh, in 1936. So, um, which at which time, by the way, the Japanese had just burned down Nanjing, China, right? There's a whole, right, imperialism and fascism and all that stuff 
they're not new. They, we already went through that in the last century. Uh, it came from the same place and it came down to assholes uh, in leadership and none of it in the 20s and 30s had to do with jazz. And none, none of what happened uh, in this decade, if you go back and start with the Tea Party and you know, roll in the Proud Boys and end up with Donald Trump, none mm. of that had anything to do with the not-so-smartphone. Mm. Um, it did have to do, by the way, with Facebook. So, mm. I mean, there are issues. Yes, and are. yes, there were issues with the jazz lifestyle, right? The, mm. I mean, and, uh, and, and its antithesis, which was prohibition because prohibition always works right so there were i mean i'm not saying there aren't issues in culture in you know cultural evolution mm -hmm. um not even to we can't even begin to think about jim crow and all of that stuff from that era but my point is that there is a technological foundation for the changes that have happened in this decade there and ironically some of it contributes to the ability of isis and MAGA and all these other movements um, to, uh, it actually facilitates their organization and the herd movements that are associated with it. And in the same way, the technology has facilitated um, a kind of, as you say, an Occupy movement, a virtual Occupy Wall Street movement um, for which the similarity, another similarity um, uh, is striking, I thought. Um, I My re recollection of Occupy Wall Street at the time was that it wasn't clear what the point was. It was kind of like Occupy was, in fact, the objective. Yeah, um, but once you got Wall there... Street. Fuck yeah, Wall Street! Okay, that, that was here it. we are! Yeah. Now the alternative <laughs> we propose is... Yeah, I'm you know going to go back and trade um, yeah. index, you know, equity index funds, ETFs on my computer, mm -hmm. like I did before. And so this, you know, this kind of stick it, stick it to the man uh, phenomenon in, in, in GameStop has a, is, has a certain echo uh, in that. But, you know, I'm just guessing, bless their hearts, that most of the fans of GameStop, you know, the actual entity who are, are um, you know, lurking in the shadows here and all, you know, all bought one share. It's just that there's millions of them and they were organized on uh, social media, which is what makes this so fascinating yeah. is that, um, you know, there's enough fans out there that would like to see GameStop continue to exist in some form. Um, if I, you know, if it were me, if I were hired uh, to be a management consultant, I would say, you still have a store. <laughs> like you're not the Amazon of, I mean, you know, and if uh, you think about malls in general, right, malls stopped being about the stores about 10 years ago, which means 20 years ago. It's just 10 years ago that the mall owners figured it out. And so they started adding experiences, the yeah. restaurants, the cafes and whatnot. And um, I, and that's a dude, that's a work in prog progress because the pandemic just completely pulled another leg out from the stool of the, you know, why do people go to a shopping mall? Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's not to get, I'm sorry, man, my UPS guy comes by my house almost every day with something that I just spur the moment realized I needed and ordered on my phone, mm -hmm. save me a trip to the store. So these things are always changing. GameStop is sort of an interesting, you know, reflection of a moment where people in a fan base actually were able to you know organize a um collective collective action mm -hmm. and engage in a space that previously hasn't been uh, known for that so it's kind of you know uh, i by the way i shed no tears for the for the um short sellers Mm -hmm. who got caught with their pants down Mel melvin um, capital specifically it was melvin well, capital I that mean, had the hugest uh short position on gamestop Look, the difference between them and some of the guys that got the, you know, the kids that got blasted this week uh, in their Robinhood accounts is that the, the hedge fund managers know that that's the risk that they face. What a, a lot of what happened in the last week is simply um, when you 
stretch the rubber band so far and it's to, to the point where it's so tight that it snaps, that it actually breaks. So for example, um, Robin Hood actually, you know, has a clearing account, a clearinghouse arrangement, um, which under SEC and CFTC, right, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, there are rules to how these markets operate. Just as you go to the market in, in Fez or in Marrakesh, right, there, there are rules about where your stall is and when you can open and when you can't open and, you know, mm. people clean up at the end of the day and that kind of thing. The clearing houses are the guys that actually, when you when you enter into a trade, or you you, you log your intent, and the provider like Robinhood um, indicates um, that they accept your uh, decision. That still has to be that still has to go through a clearinghouse where the transactions act, you know, the accounting and all the other stuff happens. And when everything is moving really fast in one direction, um, uh, the, the the clearinghouse can actually be overwhelmed. You know, uh, this happened with U.S. Treasuries, by the way. Remember after uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, famously provided his uh, coronavirus diagnosis that, like a miracle, it, it will disappear? Remember that? February oh, 26, 2020, like a miracle, it will yeah. disappear. When the weather changes yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Well, there was a whole series yeah. of ridiculous, idiotic statements that he made, uh, couldn't, uh, uh, you know, along which, along the way of which included drink some chlorine be- bleach and shine a flashlight up your butt, and yeah. it will cause the, you know, I mean, you're just, all good. Just inject it. What an idiot! But Put it right in there. You can go look at what was happening with the S and P 500, for example, as people began to realize at the end of February 2020, a year ago, that this was big and that valuations were too high relative to what we now know about the infectiousness and the mortality of this disease. And as stock prices fell, the president made this ridiculous statement. He, he, he didn't say, we're going to set up a testing, contact tracing, tracking, isolation, mitigation and containment regime mm-hmm. like all the other smart kids on the planet, we're just going to assume that it'll go, ooh, herd immunity. Yeah. After enough people die, it's all good. <laughs> like, what? Mm-hmm. That's not a strategy. And at that moment, the stock market went into free fall. And um, literally, there came a moment in the second week of uh, March where the, you know, the liquidity, right? The, 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 what greases the wheels of the financial system locked up the, the liquidity in the U.S. Treasury market uh, disappeared. And there were some heroic actions uh, at the Federal Reserve to get, you know, basically the clearinghouse function broke down, but not for GameStop, uh, stay, GameStop and not, you know, at Robinhood mm-hmm. for the entire financial system. <laughs> and you uh-huh. can go to federalreserve.gov and read there, you know, there's papers now people have written papers about what happened and what the response was go you know google ben bernanke um uh you know go go to youtube and look up you know ben bernanke's um just just look up anything just listen to anything ben bernanke says mm-hmm. so the same thing happened after lehman brothers and um the same thing happened uh six months prior to that when bear stearns was about to uh blow up Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then, of course, the same the thing happened last week. And we've built in mechanisms, by the way, when when stock prices move in a, one or another direction by, you know, especially large amounts. And these are some somewhat arbitrary because, you know, what's a large uh, amount? Um, there are circuit breakers that very often trading will halt uh, temporarily, you know, to, uh, you know, basically for traders to catch their breath. And mm-hmm. um, but when the clearinghouse, when the. You know, when the man behind the curtain, right, the, when the wizard that actually makes the system work, when that guy breaks down, then you just have to, okay, we, 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 we stop everything. And, um, well, and that's what happened to Robin Hood. Hmm. Do, do you think these, like, they're, they're calling it the democratization of the financial system. Do, do you think yeah. these, like, um, apps like Robin Hood are net positive or net negative? Oh, a- no, unquestionably. By the way, the democratization of of um, 
the democratization of the financial system has been going on for decades. Uh, it began with, uh, oh, well, you know, in the in the modern era, error <laughs> in ah. the modern era, um, ah. you know, uh, ATMs. That was kind mm. of a you, know, you, you kids can't imagine, but back in the day, if you wanted cash, you know, to go clubbing on the weekends, uh-huh. you had to make sure you went to the bank on Friday before they closed at 3 p.m. Ah, no good. <laughs> and then, right, and of course, you're sitting there on Friday ready to go Pahana with the bros, and you're like, oh, snap, yeah. I didn't get any cash, and there's no ATM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no do? bank that's going to give you a credit card, bro. Yeah. And, uh, oh yeah, that was my world. And how about this one? And check this out: the drinking age was eighteen. Woohoo! Oh, so, yeah. right then you would go to the you would go to the manager's station at the supermarket and mm-hmm. try to cash a check. Hey, brother, you can cash me a check. I go and buy beer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how you got. That's how you got cash on the weekends in 1973. Oh, went to the supermarket and wrote a check for cash and and. And maybe they would cash it for you. Maybe they would look at you and go, get your punk ass out of here. That's not uh-huh. your check. Wow. So beginning with that and then the internet and then now it's all, you know, we do all of our transactions on, on smartphones. Um, subprime lending, which got mm-hmm. a huge burn in the um, housing bubble of the early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. How, subprime lending. You got to think about this for a second. Until subprime lending, a single mom who paid her rent on time could not get a mortgage loan, right? Under, you know, if you, if you looked at the way credit underwriting was set up until about the 1990s, right? It's all about your ability and demonstrated willingness to pay, you know, make your monthly mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. And, um, People, people of color, right? Low-income households, people did not have access to credit the way they do today. Today, and so subprime lending, right? What, what is what is subprime lending? If you're a prime borrower, that means you, you meet all the criteria. But there's a whole group of people that are just not quite there because they're not married and they have kids, you know, that are a little more risky. But if you make a loan to them, are right 95% of them will pay back their loan instead of 98%. So it's a little more risky but not you know not so risky that you just why because that 3 percentage point difference right if if an additional 3% of those borrowers is going to fail to pay back the loan then that loss right you're talking about banks that run a 1% loss experience so if you add three percentage points or whatever fraction that three additional percentage points is based on the portfolio shares in your, you know, in the, in the balance sheet, um, that can even a small margin like that can add materially to your loss experience at the bank. The bank, you know, banks can't afford to lose money. Um, so, or they, or they'd be bankrupt. So subprime lending made it possible for a lot of people that could have never gotten a home loan previously to get in there. It only when it only metastasized and became toxic when the bubble began to emerge and people used that source of finance to pour fuel on the fire. Let's, let's go back to fundamentals. What is a bubble? A bubble occurs when the fundamentals that are consistent with asset valuation, when, uh, when the fundamentals are no longer the predominant influence and when instead expectations of other people's expectations of the value of the asset come to dominate. So right, there's the old saying, when your Uber driver, when you when your Uber driver is telling you, right, when your cab driver is telling you what the best stock tip is, you should start to think, yeah, maybe this is detaching from the money. And that's not to pick on Uber drivers, or I'm just saying there's a reason some people develop an expertise uh, in, you know, in, in uh, appraisal, essentially uh-huh. asset valuation and the rest of us uh, sort of free ride off of what we, you know, what, you know, Aunt Mildred told us uh-huh. at, uh, you know, at Sunday family dinner about mm-hmm. what she's been, been buying. And, and when, 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 so that's, 
that's a really key distinction. When the fundamentals rule, you know, that's kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. When it's all about your expectation of somebody other somebody else's expectation, mm-hmm. you believe the price is going to go up because some you believe somebody else believes the price is going to be even higher than you do. Yep. Oh, that and that can pool. go on for a while. A bigger you're pool. cool until yeah. the last guy. <laughs> yeah. And you don't, you don't want to be that sucker. No. That 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 and and with subprime, like I said, it was fine democratizing credit until it became people who were buying second homes based on the fact that they believed that somebody else thought that that home was going to be worth even more. And it's like musical chairs. When the music stops, boom, somebody's left without a chair Mm. to sit down on and down they go all the way to the floor. So maybe a solution is, of course, everybody should be allowed uh, to get in, whether they're big investors or small investors, but Probably the, the the huge problem is leverage, as Charlie yeah. Munger says. How do smart people go broke? Liquor, ladies, and leverage. There's probably something to Robinhood traders being allowed to trade on margin. Maybe are they? they? Yes, they, okay. Robinhood will allow them to trade on margin. There's there's like a criteria that I don't understand, but yeah, you could get on and then trade on margin, which is pretty scary. Uh, I did not know that. So that's like going into the casino and having a conversation with Guido over here who says, yeah, he'll stake your, um, uh, you know, you give him $100 and he'll give you 1000 to go gamble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> leverage. It's like, dude, really? There's a <laughs> Japanese guy over there with no little finger? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> that's it really <laughs> uh, you know it's your that big moak who used to like take your lunch money and this you know you know search take remember that from mm-hmm. elementary school um look it's all about personal responsibility and you know uh risk risk management um mm-hmm. if you Leverage just means you use a little bit of capital to leverage a bunch of, bunch of wealth. But when you're out there, you know, on the, on the, you know, like when you move the seesaw over so the fat kid can sit down, so the skinny kid gets thrown up into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you're, uh, if you're that kid flying through the air, you know, the odds of you're coming down hard mm-hmm. um, are actually pretty high. And... Um, so I'm sure. How many like uh, microaggressions did I faux pas that I quite a few? I'm gonna have to beat there. that up. <laughs> I'm gonna have to beat up a few times. But I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to get canceled. You know what I mean? That's what happens nowadays. So. That's the way we we spoke to each other in 1962, by the way. So yeah, be personal. Yeah. But um, yeah, leverage um, leverage is leverage is how we all buy a house, right? You put 20 percent down. You borrow the 80% and then you hope that the house doesn't burn down for the next 30 years because you'll be paying back your loan for 30 years. So it's a tried and true method. And in the ways that most people engage in um, leverage is in really highly structured forms and formats. So the, the, to, to, to take this mortgage banking example uh, even further, it's so, the product is so standardized. It's just so homogeneous a product that there's an entire secondary market created where people enter into a loan agreement with an issuer, a bank or a savings and loan, um, uh, you know, a, um, a credit union or whatever, um, you know, they're two, two. And those typically for the institutions, those loans can be sold in a secondary market. And they literally, the, the banks will literally, rather than hold the individual loans and be exposed to that risk, They'll hold securities in the pools into which all the individual loans go so that collectively the pool um, takes advantage of the fact that most of those, you know, 98% of those loans will pay off. And so it lowers the, so the, so the securities from the pool have a lower risk exposure than each of the individual mortgages. Not because people are bad or they don't intend to pay them up, but because things happen. You lose your job. A pandemic comes along and you happen to work in an industry in which it's unsafe for you to go to work. 
It's unsafe for you. It's unsafe for your customers. Um, that's not your fault. That's just the world in which we live. It's biology. And so we act collectively to attempt to provide a safety net, uh, however poorly designed our efforts. So the, the, as I say, those homogeneous kind of securities that provide access to leverage are, are out there. But then there are these much more you know, risky variants. And, uh, I, I, you know, if you're, if you were the, the fact that for the same reason we need to, you know, for the same reason we teach children about, um, internet safety and, you know, curation of speech and all this other stuff, uh, because of social media, things that we didn't worry about educating, uh, uh children, uh, about until later in their lives, right? Most of us didn't learn about that stuff till we got to creative writing in college or something like that. Um, uh, for the same reason, financial literacy courses, which weren't even around 20 years ago, um, uh, probably ought to be, um, you know, uh, you know, teaching younger and younger people than ever before how much risk uh, is out there and. This is real, you know, it's real stuff. You will impair, you know, you'll blow up your family's finances or something. Yeah, totally. It's, which it is, is why, gambling. But yeah, no, but which is why I, I, I'm fine with people speculating, and this is just a personal thing, speculating and investing, but then when you go short and then you have to cover, that's like a different dynamic. Like how much you lose can be exponential based on the leverage. So I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. We can't let people like, there's a reason why you can't just say, Hey, I have an extra, what is it? Your liver or is it your kidney? You have an extra one. You can't an just extra say, kidney. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to give this up for $150,000. So some billionaire could buy it. That's not legal. Like you, there have to be guardrails so that people don't get too nuts. Right. Well, okay. So yes and no. I mean the, you know, the way we, we generally regulate, uh, the way people are <clears throat> enabled when it comes mm -hmm. to leverage. So you, there, there are certain ways you can do it where there are guardrails and there's transparency and, um, you know, there are protocols in place to, um, in, in which uh, only highly trusted um, professionals and so on are able to have access to leverage uh, that, you know, others, or for example, uh, situations in which, right. So we all go work in a corporate environment, not, not all of us, but, you know, many, uh, people work in corporate environments where, um, there's a, there's a collective entity, right? The corporation is a collective of a sense uh, of a sort, uh, and the, the workers may or may not be owners. Sometimes they are, sometimes they are. Sometimes they are owners indirectly because they're for, the 401k in the company um, invests in a pension fund, which then buys the company stock, right? That's actually really common, by the way. Yeah. And if, the, if your 401k managers um, uh, uh, require, as is often the case, that the investments be broad-based funds, so like an S&P 500 fund, when you work for an S&P 500 company, then you literally do own a part of your own company. So the guardrails are there uh, for a reason. But at the same time, there is a role for speculation. There is a role to be played by speculators. And um, it's sort of deep in the genetic, um, in the, you know, in the, in the capitalism genome that we accept risk-taking behavior provided that the individual who takes on the risk is the only one exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And, but is also as a consequence, um, uh, able to recoup the rewards of having taken risk. You know, so what we if call you're, those? Whether, pardon me, you know, what we call those today. We What's that? Those? We call those YOLO trades. You only live once trades. It's just a YOLO trade, right? Just go for it, you know, boom or bust. You're either going to like yeah, retire on I, a yacht or I, you're going to retire eating ramen noodles, either yeah, one. Yeah, but let, yeah. Me, let me put this in a, different, in a different context. You only live once, but life is long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. YOLO 
B-L-I-L. You mm. only live once, but life is long. That is, trust me, dude, you're going to be doing this over and over in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've made and lost fortunes. I like to think of them as fortunes. They weren't. But I've made and lost fortunes many times. I'm starting from scratch all over again at my age now because, you know, things happen. You have a good run and then you get a divorce and then you have a good run and then the dot-com bubble bursts and then you have a good run and then, um, you know, you lose your job and then you have a good run and you got to pay for all your kids to go to college and then you have a good run. I mean, that's just life. You know what I mean? So, and life is to to one degree or another, and it's all up to you. It's about, you know, chansom. <laughs> you know, chansom, do you bro. believe, do you chansom. believe in your ability to do something? Chansom, brother. And yeah. um, but you won't succeed at everything. Yeah. Um, and you it's really important to understand that when you don't and you won't at some point. Mm-hmm. You will have to start over. And so, yes, you only live once, but you'll be doing this over and over all your life, brother. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing. If you look at the distribution of outcomes, right, the bell-shaped curve of the distribution of outcomes, most people have an average outcome that's, you know, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that wasn't true in, you know, 1638 when the tulip bubble happened which by the way was in the middle of the 30 years war think about that name for a second Mm. so um i mean you know how good was it for west africans in 1638 that were about to go into the slave how good was it for native americans in 638 when the french or the whatever showed up how good i'm just saying this life is history is full of you know, potholes, and hopefully we're not living one of them right now in America, but I would say the world has come pretty far and making sure that the average return is okay. But the point is that way out on the tail of the distribution, way down out on the tails of the distribution are two guys, one of whom succeeded at everything or succeeded at one thing so big that it doesn't matter what they do for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that guy is he mistakes his success for genius. When it's just luck, it's just happenstance. And then there's another guy at the other end of the spectrum. And I think I got these backwards from your perspective, but from my perspective, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another guy who tried and failed and tried and failed at everything. And there they, there they are at the end of their life and they have nothing but Medicare. And you know what? Not their fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the reason we all kind of get together, the reason we made Medicare <laughs> is because there's a bunch of guys who are going to go through life and notwithstanding YOLO, they only lived once, but mm. it was not an entirely successful run. And most of that was not their fault. It was not their fault that a novel coronavirus showed up. Yeah. You know, it was not their fault that a novel coronavirus evolved and mutated so fast that we made the X-Men comic book series. You know what I mean? It's that's just life. So I think um Uh, going you know coming back to our our our, our topic here yeah yolo but you best be prepared to go through this a couple like the you know the first time is kind of like in my life it was the dot-com bubble Mm -hmm. the first time i seriously got engaged uh made was making a little money um uh was able to pay the rent and you know raise some kids and still have enough money to go on vacation every once in a while. Uh, and I started investing in stocks in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I thought I was a freaking genius because mm-hmm. I knew all about internet, right? I learned uh, just enough hypertext markup language to be, help code, you know, um, a website. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after that, you know what I learned? Never do that again. <laughs> 
the first time you learn how to code something, you go, never do that again. Let somebody else code it for you. Mm. But, um, and then the dot-com bubble burst and it was a, a bubble. It was what Alan Greenstein called irrational exuberance at a time when there was a fundamental reason to be excited about the internet, about the, mm. how it was going to change the world, how it was going to change markets, how it was going to change communication. Um, but of course it has, uh, you know, like many things, it had a dark side and we're living some of that now. But that initial, for, for those of you that weren't born, right, that initial run in, um, yeah, Robert Schiller published a book around that time, a Nobel Prize winner called, um, you know, based on Alan Greenspan's famous characterization at that moment of irrational exuberance. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, a technology for which exuberance was warranted, but the irrational part of it, uh, the, the hurting uh, overwhelmed um, and I remember being at a conference where a young PhD candidate was presenting a paper on rational, dynam uh, rational dynamic herding games with asymmetric information. I thought oh, that was wow. just a perfect rational dynamic herding games with asymmetric information. So it's rational. That is, everybody is using all the available information right, to make, form an expectation about the future value of an asset price. Rational, dynamic, right, they're taking time into account. It's not the, what it's worth today, it's the path from now to infinity or whatever, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it was a hurting game because it was people all moving in one direction or another. But remember in a game, there's strategy, right? It's not random people moving around is people that are moving because they have some kind of strategy. Uh, and that's, and, and, you know, um, anyway, you know, games are complex and, uh, oh, which is why, you know, it's a beautiful mind read, you know, watch the movie about the guy who helped come up with game theory. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's just ironic that it took somebody who had a disability um, to be able to think through to this. It's just a fascinating story. Um, and then, of course, um, under asymmetric information, the, 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 the problem a lot of the time is you don't know as much. Nobody knows as much as the next guy. Uh, we, we develop a lot of financial economic theory, by the way, based on this idea that if there was perfect information, this these would be the paths and these would be the optimal strategies uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the games that are being played and so on and so forth. But then, of course, we have to step back from that, you know, theoretically perfect world and recognize. So there's a literature, for example, out there that, that's, you know, accessible to, to people that are not, you know, formally trained on what's called slow moving capital, which is the idea that here we live in a world with all of this instant access uh, to stuff. But the reality is that there's just, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? There's just so much information yeah. out there that we kind of have to. And so there's a phenomenon called um, rational inattention where you sort of, okay, Trump is gone. I am no longer paying attention to the Republicans. That's just mm. my personal thing. Uh, and you're, you're, you know, your flavor may bring me up. My cousin thinks that masks don't really do that much. And I'm like, that's why you live in Wyoming and I live in Hawaii. So, okay, mm. I'm just saying, rational inattention there's just so much information you sort of carve out the things that i can't i just there's not enough time in the day for me to understand all this stuff and the way it shows up in in asset markets is you know you're you know you're you're going along trading or whatever you're doing and then tiger woods is on tv because he's apologizing for having cheated on his wife and mm. everybody's paying everybody's watching tv for 15 minutes and you can go look at what happened in the stock market in that 15 minutes and it completely changed because traders looked away from their Bloomberg terminal or they looked from this screen to that screen. And, you know, they looked from the trading screen to Tiger Woods. That's in a, that's in a paper called um, Slow Moving Capital by Daryl Duffy, the, his presidential address to the American Financial uh, Association American Finance Association, 2010, I think, or 2011, slow moving capital. So, 
Okay. Well, this has been a great discussion. If uh, <laughs> people want to go ahead and find you and get your amazing counsel, how can they find <laughs> Mr. Uh, Honolulu's I, Economist? I, I'm sorry to say I'm completely absent uh, from the internet. You're welcome to Google. Uh, you're welcome to YouTube. Some of the webinars in which I've uh, presented with fellow uh, with colleagues, uh, fellow pal panelists. Um, honestly, my own website uh, is um, a an undergraduate uh, computer science class project that my son was doing um, 10 years ago. And so it permanently is under construction because it hasn't changed since he set it up. Um, but I operate under the brand TZ Economics, Tango Zulu uh, Economics. And um, you'll, you'll, you'll find me out there. I'm out there evidently uh, in, the cy in cyberspace somewhere. Yeah, you're definitely very well known among the Hawaii business community. I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, if I ever have any economic questions, I hope you come on again. Thank you. My pleasure, Nicholas. And I appreciate your uh, taking on the role for, you know, the next generation of getting this information out there. That's uh, like I say, I'm an old dog. There are only so many new tricks I'm going to learn. And uh, so I appreciate the fact that people like you are out there to help, you know, uh, pass along the knowledge. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Cool.